Hello and welcome to another episode of Daddy Square, the Gay Dads Podcast. I'm Jan. I'm Alex. Alex, you know, people are asking, are we planning to do an episode on the coronavirus? Because we're epidemiologists with expertise in... <laughs> people are not in a good mood. I can't imagine why. One of the things that I saw on social media, which is very alive, as opposed to the street, you know, yes. is uh, um, something from uh, Israeli parenting coach, Einat Natan, who I really, really love. She's so great. Her book is amazing. And I really love what she has to say. And she says, you know, our head is busy thinking about the separation of what is absent. And news are turning up the volume of what's missing. And our mind is looking of what doesn't work. And instead of that, she says, you should look at what's around you. What's everything that is really important is around you. Don't look at what's wrong. Look at what you have. And I think this is an amazing lesson. I think that, Alex, I know you're not into the whole spiritual stuff. And I think it has a greater lesson than just, you know, locking yourself out of the virus. Look, of course, I agree with you. And by the way, just a moment about spirituality. I'm not into what I consider to be supernatural stuff. That doesn't mean I'm not a spiritual person. Sheesh, what's with you? Um, I agree that this is, look, just like every experience in life, this is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to look at our lives differently and to kind of reassess what's important to us. Uh, I loved what she said. And if you yeah. can bring yourself to translate the entire thing to yeah. English, you should. She also said that our job as parents is to show our kids, if we want to raise optimistic kids, we have to show them and demonstrate to them that at times like this, we have to look at what's working and what's left. And we tell them how much they miss if they don't do that. Right. If you don't look at the bright side of things. I, look, of course, I completely agree. But on the other hand, I don't really want to downplay how terrifying this is for some people. Especially, you know, um, gay men have just a larger tendency to be disconnected from their families for obvious reasons. That means fewer people to interact with. Um, ones, who, you know, gay men who have not had kids might be alone in their houses right now. And that's that can be incredibly difficult. And so while I agree that there's a, a huge opportunity for optimism and looking at things, I don't want to I don't want to under value the fear that people have and the isolation that people feel right yeah, now. I, I totally agree. It's not like I'm, I don't want to downplay that, but I, I just think that if you are at home and you are bored and you are sad, just, you know, just take a few minutes to look at who are you. It's, it's an opportunity sure. to actually look inside and understand who are you, who are you without all of the things that, they, that are outside? Who are you without the connections? Who are you without the uh, seeing friends and, and going to work and, and coffee talks, you know, in yeah. work break and stuff like that? So, look, who are you without the Starbucks yeah, at the corner, I have to tell you, because I, I have become nothing. I, I am the gay Starbucks. I don't even, I don't even spend a lot of time at Starbucks. But the idea that I can't go and sit somewhere, I don't even and interact. Your grinder is just blows up. <laughs> I don't even interact with people. I just go and sit there and and feeling the hum, the gay, the hum of people around you, um, is something really hard to be without. Today we're having America's worst mom. <laughs> Speaking of which, Lenore Shkenazi, uh, in 2008, she wrote a column in the New York Sun titled, Why I Let My Nine-Year-Old Ride the Subway Alone. Describe her making a controversial decision and let her son take the New York City subway back home alone. Uh, it became a national story and uh, it prompted massive media attention. Uh, she was dubbed America's worst mom. In response, she founded a blog and then wrote a book called Free Range Kids that aims to fight the belief that our children are in constant danger. This idea was never been introduced in Gay Dad's blogs, and I really want to bring it to our community and to hear your guys' opinion about this whole, this whole idea. What do you guys think? So please listen to the interviews. I think it's fascinating. I agree. 
And I fell in love with this idea of free range kids, but just because it reminded me of my childhood that my parents actually let me do a lot of stuff independently. I used to go to the grocery store at six, maybe. <laughs> Can't even, I can't even imagine what the hell my children would come home with if they went to the grocery store now. Granted, no, they're but, four. Uh, <laughs> I was a, what's it called in Israel, a key kid? Latch key kid. I was very independent. And coming to America and seeing what how parents treat kids as if even in age eight and nine, they're still treat them like they're five-year-olds, it was a shocking to me. So first of all, we have to be clear that you moved from Israel to the United States, but you didn't move from Israel in 1979 or 1981 when you were a little kid to the United States. You moved now. So that means that things have changed in the United States a lot too. When I was a kid, I don't think it was anywhere near as free-range as it was when you were a kid in Israel because Israel was much much smaller and safer and quieter. I mean, did you go out to play in the, in the playground by yourself, like in the park? Yes, I did at the age of seven or eight years old. I, I remember that uh, the age of six was when I was allowed to cross the street in front of my house and go to the other side. That was a big deal. So let's uh, hear the sponsor and then let's go to the interview with Lenore. Daddy Squared, the Gay Dads Podcast Season 3, is sponsored by Love is Family by ORM Fertility, your gateway to fatherhood. Research begins at loveisfamily.com. Good morning, Lenore. Uh, good morning. Yes. <laughs> How are you doing? Are, you're in I'm New York, right? Great. I'm fine. I'm I'm in New York City. Yes, I'm actually right across from St. Patrick's Cathedral. Oh. I'm about to look out the window, and I realized I'm in a room without a window. But I trust me, I'm across from the cathedral. I remember that cathedral when I lived in New York. It was beautiful. Wow. I would like to jump right into our subject. We're talking about the free-range kids, and mm -hmm. um, how much can you allow your kids to do stuff mm -hmm. by themselves, and where is the line? Do you think? Well, I'll tell you one thing. I, the line is not up to me. The line is up to all those parents out there who know their kids, and I don't know their kids. <laughs> But generally, when parents are wondering about an age, like what age can kids you know, play outside or walk to school or run an errand or babysit, I ask them just to think back on their own lives. And if you were walking to school at age five and you're in a neighborhood that isn't um, more dangerous than when you were growing up, or if you were coming home with a latchkey at seven, Uh, you know, unless you think your kid is way less than you and nobody thinks that of their kids, um, there's no reason that your kid can't be doing uh, what your parents allowed you to do if you think that was good back then and if you appreciated that freedom that you were given. You know, I, I read and watched some of your stuff, and, and I think that the question that I came away with the most is less about what's the limit and more about mm -hmm. kind of at a very fundamental level, what is the job of the parent? Mm -hmm. So what I mean is um, my kid uh -huh. is mine, and therefore presupposing that I desperately love the child – It is mm -hmm. my choice how much risk I want to expose her or him to. What do you think? Um, I think that's true. And I also think that we've sort of started seeing almost everything in childhood as a risk. And so that's what's making it so hard for parents. When my mom was sending me to school, which, believe it or not, I was a five-year-old walking to school back in the day, and my crossing guard was 10, strangely <laughs> enough. He was another kid, and, and the really strange part is that I married him. <laughs> it's true. It oh, so later. sweet. No, isn't that the weirdest? That's just I have so many crossing guard yes. jokes I could make right now, but I will withhold. Go ahead. Yes, really. Please don't. Uh, suffice to say that we didn't realize it until after we were married. Like, oh, my God, you were the crossing guard there, and it wasn't. <laughs> like I was stalking him. It's not like he was a man in uniform <laughs> with a sash. That's all it takes, to, you know, for Lenore to, to flip her lid. Um, but the difference between my mom allowing me to walk to school at age five and parents today being, you know, often afraid to let their kids do that even at age 10, 11, 12 is that we have started seeing every childhood activity through the lens of risk. And that, that just makes us, our job, so hard. And, and when we see things through the lens of risk, we only see the, the regret and, the, and the, the terror 
that is staring us down. Like, what if something terrible happens? But we never see any any flip side to that. Like, what if we don't let them have a little independence? What if we don't give them uh, some of the experiences that we had, you know, for better or worse, that formed us when we were kids, when we had to deal with some problems and fell off our bike and nobody was there with the, you know, with a, a bottle of water and an ambulance <laughs> to take right. us home because we weren't riding our bikes with our moms. Right. So the, the desire is deep and permanent um, that we want to keep our kids safe. But the um, the perception of their da- of of their safety has changed dramatically to the point where, if you, even if you look at the you know you go into a store where they sell stuff for babies, I mean everything is like there's baby knee pads because they shouldn't hurt themselves when they're crawling. There's baby helmets for when they're walking. There's device that tells you their temperature and their blood oxygen level while they're sleeping. There's a readout to your iPhone. So normal activities, crawling, toddling, sleeping have all been rewritten in this era as dangerous activities that parents should be, you know, alarmed about and in constant fretting when they let their children do that. And it only gets worse as the child gets a little older. And it used to be that we would let them out of our sight. And now it becomes almost impossible because everything is, we're constantly told that this could be so dangerous that if you weren't watching, how bad would it be? And it would all be your fault. And it really is paralyzing us with fear. Well, and and I think the last thing that you just said is really important because there are, at least to me, there are two factors. One is my own fear for my child, and the other is the judgment of the world around me. Right. It's certainly a double helix of DNA. I I hear so many times from parents who are saying that they actually do want to give their kids a little more freedom, or they want to be able to read a book when their kids are at the playground, but they feel like the other, uh, I was going to say moms, but not on this one, dads, (laughs) are looking at them. Uh, you know, askance. And and then sometimes I feel like, gee, if they would all just talk to each other, they all feel the same way. You know, we don't have to climb the monkey bars with them and we don't have to go down the slide with them. But I feel like you're going to judge me if I don't. And so here I'm doing it. And then, you know, some other ladies watching and thinking, well, I guess I got to climb the slide with my kid, too. And suddenly it becomes the social norm. Right. So, um, you know, I, I started Free Range Kids, but it grew into a nonprofit called Let grow. And mm-hmm. so um, one of the things we're trying to do is is bring these social norms, make, make the silent majority into, uh, you know, silent no more so that we can all say, look, I, I think it's really important for my kid to walk to school or to climb a tree or to have some time playing in the woods with his friends. And um, don't you? And it's like, yes, yes, I do. And that starts just melting a little bit of the ice of fear of judgment and then, of course, fear of, of blame. Has the law changed since we were kids? Has something changed in the law? Because obviously the, the attitude mm-hmm. has changed. Um, the, the law is a kind of tricky thing. In most states, it's kind of murky. And what, what the law generally states is that, you know, you're allowed to let your kids do things so long as they're not dangerous. Now, uh, this doesn't go by statistics. I wish it did. Statistically dangerous. It's not statistically dangerous to, to walk to school in most neighborhoods or to climb a tree. But if somebody walking by thinks, I would never let my kid walk home from the park, um, and they have a phone with them. I think the phone has changed more than the laws. A phone allows a person to immediately call 911, and then if a caseworker comes and, you know, it says, well, I, I don't know, is this dangerous or not? It's just It's just there's a new level of vigilance on the part of bystanders um, to to call the, the authorities' attention to just everyday, normal, safe parenting decisions. And that's that's the biggest change. And what we're trying to do at Let Grow and what we did um, in Utah so far, and we have another law um, being uh, coming up in Colorado, uh, is to create a, a law that clarifies that, look, nobody wants – neglect nobody wants a kid who's neglected or abused but simple everyday parenting decisions to let your kid play outside come home with a latch key wait briefly in a car while you run in and get the pizza or the dry cleaning these are everyday activities that are statistically very safe and therefore can't be a tripwire to cause an investigation so in Utah they, they know that you know they, they can let their kids do what these things that I just mentioned, and it's not going to, um, you know, there will be no ill consequences. Hopefully in Colorado, this law will pass soon too. And then hopefully it will pass in all the states because really Child Protective Services is there for a reason. They're supposed to be finding children who are truly 
mistreated, and I want them to do that. I don't want them to waste their time knocking on the door of somebody who let her kid play on the front lawn or walk to a neighbor's house for a cup of sugar. So it's not that the law has changed so much. It's that people's perception of danger, like we were talking about earlier, is so heightened and then they have phones. So right. normally if I'd seen, you know, if, if somebody had seen me letting my kid wait in the car while I picked up the pizza and they had to remember to call the police when they got home 15 minutes later, it would have vanished from their their thoughts because it isn't that big a deal. But when you have the phone and you've been told that children are in constant danger and you call 911, that's, that's the real problem. Right. By the way, uh, w- You talked about uh, other dead judging us, so I just want to clarify that <laughs> we have this term called mom's planning. Um, a lot of the dads are <laughs> let's hear it. yeah a lot of the dads are uh, using it because we feel that we're judged by other mothers who think that because we don't have mother in our, in our relationship or the kids don't wow. have a mom, uh, this is why we act a certain way. And Alex has a very perfect ex- uh, example of something that happened to him. Well, she's, she's going to hate this one. I mean, yeah. Oh, I cannot wait to hear. And then I'm going to say you should write an op-ed for this and put it in the New York Times. But let's uh, hear it. Oh, the New York Times is so sick of hearing from me. Um, <laughs> anyway, um, <laughs> so, you know, walking with the kids, they were probably three, early three, trying to get them out of the park, uh, walking to the parking lot. And uh, mm-hmm. one of them was fine. And the other one was throwing a tantrum because he didn't want to leave. And I was doing that thing that you do where you say, oh, okay, well, I'll just... go and you can stay here and right. what I did finally was me and the other kid we got to a place where we sort of turned around a little bit of a corner so that we could hide Ooh. right Ooh. a little bit of a corner mm-hmm. we could not have been more than 10 meters away from the kid mm-hmm. and I hear a shriek and I come outside <laughs> and it is uh, a woman standing there and screaming whose child is this and I say oh it's mine uh-huh. you know I'm doing that thing that you do and she says well I should call Call the police do you know how dangerous this is you know blah 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 and then she made and you know that that got things a little bit excited then she made the unfortunate of mistake of saying you don't understand I'm a mother and I was like uh oh <laughs> you're also a sexist but okay we'll leave that aside and then you know it, it spiraled out of control and we had, and she said she would call the police and she didn't and etc so yeah there was a good time was had by all um and yeah, I'll, I'll tell great. you this Alex was shaken for anything yeah so, so I mean uh, there's there, it, it's so frustrated me on every level and Uh, the sexism the dare I say hysteria now I sound sexist uh, the, the, the false sense that she must care more about your child than you do yeah, simply yeah. because she has memories and you know just because it's just so strange like yeah. why would you think that you care more about my child well <laughs> it let just me, doesn't happen I haven't looked at any of the statistics but has <laughs> there been any benefit to to the poking in of the nose that that other parents have done over the last decades um, towards the end of actually removing children from dangerous parental situations because even though of course I agree with you um, within the right context I would ask do we want to shut that model down and go back to the way it was in when I was a, a little kid in the 70s um, or is there some kind of a a An, a value to the fact that the society feels like they do have a role in looking at right. the way other parents parent okay first of all I'd say there's something wonderful about people caring about all children and not just their own um, the thing that I find disturbing is here's this let's let's use your example here's this lady she sees a kid is by himself and for a split second she thinks that there's nobody there right, right. so what Watch over him. You're a good Samaritan. You're fancying yourself, you know, Earth Mama. Stand there and see if somebody comes, which you did in about 10 seconds. So when you see that, you go, oh, I'm so glad, you know. For a second, I thought there was no one with him. Yay, you're here. Right. Uh, the idea that you are being a good Samaritan and by calling in the authorities sometimes, which means opening up often a case, even though the vast majority of these cases are, Are actually always unsubstantiated I would say it's about 80 or 90 percent because of this almost trigger happy um, public we have now calling in you know calling up 911 because there's a child outside or there's a child who looks cold or he's not wearing a hat and and there is an enormous downside to even these what they call unsubstantiated 
cases because somebody's come to your house and they have knocked on the door. They have the uh, authority to in- investigate. They can open up your cabinets, and they do, and they look in the refrigerator, and they interview your kids and separate from you, and they interview you. And, and then they say, oh, you know what? This is a great family. No harm, no fall. Goodbye. But you have been shaken to the core, totally. and your children have often been shaken to the core. And the idea that now you'll let your kid ride her bike again, or gosh, we were just talking yesterday to a lady who let her kid seven or eight years old, she wanted to run around the block just for exercise. And this is a mom with four or five kids. So the mom stayed in front of her house rather than running with the girl. And somebody found the girl, you know, and the, the, the little tiny one block, you know, away where she couldn't be seen directly from the, the, the house and marched her back and, and called the cops. And this is not somebody being helpful. This is somebody being vengeful. And the the sort of deep thing that I think is going on right now is that we've become convinced, um, not because of a higher crime rate and not because of any, any reality out there, that somehow no child is ever safe without an adult, preferably their mom, but I guess the dad's (laughs) eyes upon them. And and so we feel like if the child isn't safe, that means that the parent must not care if the kid lives or dies, and we treat them like that. We treat them all like these, the, the worst parents in the world. And there's something bad about that basic assumption that most parents don't care. Most parents care quite a lot. Right. And I'm sure that sometimes when there's a call made to you know 911 or Child Protective Services, I'm sure that some children have been saved from horrific circumstances. And if you see something that indicates that, please do call. But a kid waiting in the car while you stand there and you see the mom come back with the dry cleaning three minutes later, that's not a kid in a horrific circumstance. That's a kid who's waiting in the car for a couple minutes. Right. If you see a kid running and they're not running from someone, you know, like get me away from my mom, she has an ax, then that's right. not horrific. And we can't pretend that any time a child is unsupervised, they're automatically in danger. But that's sort of the message that our culture has been giving us for the past generation, which is why it's so hard to be a parent now. So what do you... Either so, you have to spend all your time with your kids, watching their every move, and you have to worry about all this this blame and surveillance. Right. So first of all, God forbid we should have to spend all of our time with our kids. Let's start with that. Um, I mean, second of all, uh, we, we can't. We can start with that a little. Uh, I mean, there's something so fantastic about free time for kids and for grownups <laughs> right. that we've sort of we've, we've written that out of the equation too as if free time as if some independence some resourcefulness that you get on your own because you're on your way home and you get lost or you decide to get a candy bar and you're late for dinner and there's consequences these things are important for kids kids are come like sort of expecting to be wired by circumstances by excitement by um you know, experiences growing up not only with a parent helping them, assisting them, watching them, bringing them, taking them home, feeding them. They expect to, you know, have some arguments with friends and have an adventure here and and get lost there and make up a game and meet a new friend. And if we're always with them, they miss out on a lot of that. So, So to say that, you know, our job is to be with them every second is to say that this generation of humans doesn't get to grow up with all these foundational experiences that I think most of us appreciated when we were kids, the the freedom to climb a tree and make a port. Yeah. (laughs) When we first brought our babies to uh, our pediatrician, one of the things that I loved about her uh, and how she was different from all the doctors I've ever had in my life, you know, you go to the doctor and you say, mm-hmm. should I do this or should I do that? And the doctor says, well, you know, you could do this, but the other options are this and that. And what I loved about her was she said, no, you will do this. And I and I liked it because I, <laughs> you know, I was new to parenting. I didn't know what I was supposed to do with these, these children, right? Mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. I bring it up as an example because I will say that I feel right, even right now, my kids are four, right? I don't know. I don't know when. I I agree with the sentiment behind everything that you're saying, but I do wonder, um, how do you get 
guidance. Who are you supposed to just do it from your heart? Listen to your mother? I mean, you should never listen to your mother. So what? I was going to say, listen to your mother. Okay, I guess <laughs> Nick's. I mean, she may be listening, so okay. I want her to be clear that I will not be listening to her. But but okay. like, but like, but seriously, while I agree that this is something that comes from the experience of the parent, is there any form of guidance that can help? Well, you know, what we usually use for guidance is the social norms. And, you know, you look to see what your friends are doing. Oh, does this make sense? Oh, everybody's buying this or everybody's doing this or this is the age when you start X or Y. Uh, to at Let Grow, we feel like the social norms have become so tipped in favor of overprotection that they're actually, we have an expression here we say, always helping kids isn't always helping them right. <laughs> because it feels sort of like, you know, if you go to a, a hotel and you're in a new town and you can either, you're, you're at the hostel, you can go out with people you just meet there and explore the town and find a, a weird cafe and pet a cat with rabies, whatever. You can have some, forget the cat with rabies. Um, or you can go to the fancy hotel and there's a concierge and he calls you a cab and you're in the cab and then you're dropped off at a, a place where somebody has recommended everything that you buy and eat right. and then you come back in the cab and then you're back in the hotel and you, have, you say, what should I do tomorrow? And that's a different experience. And so we're a little worried that the concierge experience for children with these older, wiser people determining, you know, everything they do, and now it's time to share, and now it's time to eat this, and now it's time to, you know, go get our gym lessons or whatever, that is, uh, you know, some of that is good, and so is some of the backpacking with the, with, you know, with your friends from the hostel. And so in terms of how do you figure out the balance of that or who tells you what to do, we are really trying to change the norm of the country to roll back a little bit of the concierge experience and make it normal again to trust our kids in the world, not always with us. Four is a little young, but um, let me just tell you what we're doing in the schools because I think it'll show you how we're trying to change things, which is um, one of the one of Let Grow's initiatives is uh, something called the Let Grow Project, and it's free. And a school um, downloads the materials, and what it is is it's a homework assignment for kids K, which is soon for you, K through 8, where their homework assignment is to come home and do something without their parents. And uh, it can be, you know, we give them a list, but they can choose anything. It doesn't have to be on the list. You can run an errand. You can go to the park. You can bake a cake. You can um, get yourself to the bus stop. You can... uh, pack your own backpack, whatever. And the the reason we do this through schools is because, first of all, the schools really want kids who are a little more confident, a little less anxious. But also, everyone is doing it. And if everyone in your kid's kindergarten classroom, your fifth grade classroom, whatever, is doing this, then you're not the crazy parent saying like, well, I climbed trees, but I would never let my kid do that because I don't see anyone doing it anymore. So if, if everybody in a class or a school or a whole school district is starting to let their kids go a little more, give them back some independence, then it is much easier than trying to go it alone. And in the towns that have been doing the project, we've heard... You know, we heard from a principal who'd been the principal at 17 years at the same elementary school. And after they started doing the Let Grow project and she was driving home, she saw kids on bikes, one on roller skates, which I think is like a hallucinate. I can't imagine anyone on roller skates these days. And a kid on a skateboard. And she said in 17 years, she'd never seen any kids outside on their own. And now that was happening again. In another town, a kid went to get a muffin from the local bakery. Everybody was wondering, what's he doing here? Where's his mom? It wasn't even the bakery. It was the market. And also and a muffin? Gluten. I mean, my God. What about the gluten, you know, content? Yeah, Sorry. right. Not, not to mention the gluten and the processed sugar. <laughs> you know, it's amazing he got home that day at all. Um, but after that, other kids started coming to that same market, and it's like, oh, it's a let grow kid because he'd explained what the project was. So our goal is to really change the uh, what you see as normal because the this new normal that we have of only constant supervision is um it's not doing kids any favors and moms or dads who have to spend every single second not doing anything else except chauffeuring and watching and procuring for them you know it's really it's 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 not great for them either uh, you know, we all love spending time with our kids, but it doesn't have to be every single second. What I think is interesting, though, is when you describe the freedoms you're talking about, so far, everything you've mm-hmm. described are things that were available to me when I was a kid. 
there are a whole bunch of new avenues now by which I mean the internet, you know, social social media, all of this kind of stuff. And and w- what I wonder is, is your attitude towards those things the same thing as walking to the store and getting a muffin? Or do you want to lock those down further and force them out to get the muffin? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. First of all, I think getting the muffin is part of the answer. <laughs> getting them out of the house, having them so a world that they can be in that isn't just on their phone or on a computer. I mean, in a way, we've almost forced them to become uh, to come home and, and immediately go online because totally. they can't go to the mall. Right. They can't go to the park. They can't play in the woods. What's left? The only place they can meet their friends is in, you know, Minecraft, yeah. right, or Fortnite. Mm. And so I just have to brag about one other sort of solution we have, and then I'll talk about actual tech. But um, another play, another Let Grow initiative is called the Let Grow Play Club. We put Let Grow on everything. What can I say? But once again, it's free. And it's encouraging schools to stay open either after school or before school for literally free play. Like there's the nurses in her office, if anything goes, or maybe his office, let's, let's be fair. Um, but so if anything goes, you know, horribly awry, you know, a, a, a giant hive of bees stings the kid with the, with the EpiPen. But otherwise the kids are, you know, there's, there's cardboard boxes, there's jump ropes, there's balls, there's chalk, and the kids figure out what to do. And it's different age kids and the older kids play with the younger kids and every, you know, some kids want to build a fort and like, no, it should be a jail. And then they can figure it out between themselves. And meanwhile, some kids are playing a football game over on the side and all these fantastic things that we're worried about them not getting because they're not going outside or they're only online are happening in real time because they're not on their devices. And there's a bunch of kids together and the parents feel the children are safe enough because they're still on school property. And so you have them compromising or coming up with a funny game and kids who once read this fantastic study from Peter Gray, who is another co-founder of Let Grow, who said that if you had seven-year-olds trying to play a game of cards together, it's a disaster. They just can't do it. But if you have seven-year-olds playing with nine-year-olds, the nine-year-olds are saying, hold your cards up or don't throw out the queen or we can see everything you've got. And then the the nine-year-olds learn how to sort of lead and explain themselves and communicate. And it's this great experience for them. They're the big kids. And the seven-year-olds who want to look like they're almost nine, you know, like these really cool older kids, they hold their cards up and they, they, they focus. And this is how you start getting all the, all the social emotional skills that we're worried that our kids don't have because we're always with them concierging. And so if you can just get kids, if you can, if you can keep a school open or have the, the parks and recs department open for three hours after school and kids could have an actual childhood after school instead of a whole lot of adult run activities, which can be fine in, in, you know, to a certain extent, but they also need some time with just talking to each other and making things happen. Then you don't even have to worry about all the time that they're online or all the time that they're inside or all the time that they're overprotected because here they are having a, you know, a, a childhood experience that is pretty similar to probably what you're talking about enjoying when you were a kid, right? You probably played after school with your friends. Yeah, yeah I didn't run a gambling ring. Like, it's obvious that you're <laughs> well, advocating the children right, right, right. <laughs> All proceeds to me. <laughs> so um, one thing that Alex didn't say about his case is that he came home that day with, after the interaction of with that woman crying. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and he God. was devastated for like I don't blame I, I her. I'd be say. I'd be I'd be hysterical. Yeah. I mean, first of all, the fact that first of all, how dare you there, there's the umbrage, right? How dare you? Yeah. But then there's also don't shake me to the core and think that uh, like am I not a good parent? Am I not am I not mom enough? I mean, it, it's so demoralizing what you're we're all trying to do our best. And, and one of the things that is keeping us from doing our best and making us just into frantic, fanatical parents is this fear that somebody else is going to say, you suck. Well, and, it's and, just and, in the so interest, horrible. And in the interest of complete disclosure, I'll say I really didn't and still don't know how good a parent I am. So part of the problem is I you don't have to be great. You don't have to be great. You have to be doing, you know, by the, I always say by the time you're reading a book on parenting or God hosting a whole podcast on it, you're doing enough. <laughs> you are great. You are great. Oh, nobody's thank perfect. You. Nobody's going to get it right. People think I'm anti-helicopter parent. I say I'm part helicopter on my mom's side. There's no, <laughs> there's no 
perfect, if there was a perfect formula, we would have one book and we would all read it and do it. And instead there's this giant swath of the, well, I was going to say bookstore. If there's a bookstore left, there's a giant swath of the library and, and podcasts and you know, the parenting is so confusing and we've imbued it with like everything we do, like that one incident, is that going to ruin the kid? Are they going to talk about it in therapy, even though they were just three and they'll never remember it, but I'll be talking about it. So they'll end up talking about it. These things are are rich too large. Yeah, they are agreed. rich too large. It's it's a moment. There's there's zillions of moments before they hit 18 and they don't all have to be perfect. They can't all be perfect. And in fact, in many ways it's better if they're not all perfect so that they learn how to roll with some punches or real realize that you know dad isn't perfect either so I don't have to be so hard on myself. Just Oh, we are yeah. so hard on ourselves. And then there's the busy bodies with the phones who are even harder. And we just got to take a step back and say, it's going to be okay. Right, Your kid right. is going to be okay. Give them some freedom. Give yourself some freedom and it'll be okay. The thing we don't talk about, which uh, maybe we shouldn't, is some kids will die. And they will. Yes. And it is such an excruciating it was hard for me to actually just get those words out that I just said. I know. But I no, think that it, it is part of the formula to recognize that with all risk comes the risk of something really, really horrible. You know, you put your kids right. on a bicycle and I don't, which we're going to do soon with our kids. And, you know, I'll admit that it freaks me out. It does. Of course I'm going to do it, but it's going to freak mm -hmm. me out. Right. So what's interesting about that is that it, it does freak us out when we think about death, who, who, you know, your child's death. What could be worse? It freaks me out. And I don't like the fact that we're talking about it now. But um, the thing that I try to understand for myself is why my mom, who a Jewish mom, quit her job to stay home with the kids. We have a reputation. You know, we're supposed to be we're, we're the warriors. Right. Right. And. And yet somehow, so she, she quit her job to stay home with the kids. That's her only job is to, to love and protect us, right? Right. And yet she could let me walk by myself at age five and cross the street without always thinking, oh, my God, off she goes. I'll feel so terrible. Death happens. What if it's me? What if it's my fault? I should have held her stuff. Why did I let her go? And nobody thought that way then. So what feels very in, innate and natural now, um, almost, you know, just like it's just a normal thing to be picturing our children dead if we get them a bike, if we let them walk to school, if we let them stay home for a minute, if they climb a tree, is a new, a new thing. And, hmm. and it's hard to believe because we are always going to that dark place now, but I don't think parents always felt like every decision they were making was life or death. And the fact that we think that now is sort of like, I live in New York City. Once in a while, I go to Staten Island. And when you go to Staten Island, you look back at Manhattan and you see this brown haze over the whole city. And that's pollution. And and yet I'm in Manhattan now and the air looks perfectly clear. And I feel that that's the way with this with this extreme doom that we feel like right. we've been breathing in. There's, you know, there's there's a million there's law and order. There's Elizabeth Smart. There's. There's new devices that track your child's every move. There's Amber Alerts. There's, um, you know, the favorite story of the week on television. Uh, there's so much, there's so much doom and blame that we are just breathing in every day that we think it's normal to be picturing our kids, I have to say it, dead yeah. when we let them do anything. And that's, how do you change that? <laughs> because mm -hmm. people think it's innate, but I know it's not innate because my mom, the worrier, did not think that way. Nobody thought that way when you were allowed to play outside either. Why are we thinking that way now? Right. So we were close to Child Protective Services called on us on that incident. And there was another incident mm -hmm. at the airport where I thought, here it comes. And mm -hmm. uh, we came out of the airplane and one of our sons uh, was hungry. And our kids are very verbal. <laughs> and he started mm -hmm. screaming. What a surprise. And, <laughs> yeah. And they started screaming, mm -hmm. why aren't you giving us food? <laughs> You, we're always hungry and people are looking uh, at me and I'm like, here it comes, here it comes. And right, I, right. Why are you starving them? Right? Yeah, totally. Mind you, we just gave them food like 15 minutes uh, before that, but never mind. I wanted to know uh, what happens. Yeah, I'm calling 911 on the other line. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to know what happens when, uh, when actual child protective services knocks on your door. What happens then? Uh, 
Right. Okay. I, I can't tell you. They haven't actually knocked on my door. Thank Although I God. did get a couple of calls from the police when I let my 10-year-old ride a suburban train um, here in New York City. Uh, usually, like I said, most of the cases are turn out to be what they call unfounded. But the, the fear uh, that is, you know, your heart is in your throat when there's somebody there um, with the power of the government behind them to say you are parenting wrong. Right. And, and that's why and take we're trying your kids to change a couple is- of things. One is to make sure that the law is clear enough that, you know, a kid saying, I'm hungry or why aren't you feeding us is not enough to, uh, to trigger, uh, a, you know, if the kid looked like, you know, a, a, a starving child, uh, you know, maybe that would trigger an investigation. But if it's a normal kid saying, why aren't you feeding us? And they're just complaining even loudly that shouldn't be anything other than a you know a normal one of the many miserable parenting moments that we all go through yeah so um, when CPS comes it's there's an investigation they they ask you questions they ask the kids some questions they they sometimes I'm not sure if this is always or or just sometimes we'll look and see if there is food in your refrigerator or, you know but really what they're looking Uh-oh. to see is is the kid you know is there uh, you know is is the home filled with uh, you know needles and no food and you know there's a, a heroin cupcake and that's all there is or is it uh, you know pretty okay right uh, but but the, the, the chilling effect, I mean, why are we even talking about this? 20 years ago, if a kid got off a plane, here you are taking the child on a plane. That seems kind of nice already and almost affluent. <laughs> um, you know, if you hear a, a kid say something like, you know, ma, that hurts, you would just keep walking. I mean, as you should, it's, it, it, there's the idea that you're always seeing a horrible crime in progress is not true. And we shouldn't be judged by you know, a sentence that a kid exclaims or if they fall down and chip a tooth, that doesn't mean we're negligent. I mean, it's just the the standards out there and the suspicion are far too great. So, uh, you know, I just like everybody to remember that kids are hardy. I'm not recommending that anybody mistreat a child, but you're generally not seeing uh, abuse and neglect as you walk through the airport. Right. Do you know if the crime, again, like the uh, kidnapping kids and stuff like that, is that going up? Yeah. Or I down? can tell you, um, I can tell you all the statistics. Uh, crime in across the board against children and adults has been going down since the 90s. It peaked in 93. So right now we're at like a 25 year low. We're back to the crime rate of the 60s. Uh, the, the number of children uh, kidnapped by strangers is so vanishingly low that it doesn't go up or down much because it is it is the crime you see most on TV and the crime you see least in real life thank God I'm knocking yeah. I'm literally knocking on a wooden table right free range kids I went around and I lectured about you know kids need freedom this is crazy uh, and everybody would nod their head and remember their own childhood and then they would go home and nothing would change right but let grow is dedicated not to changing minds just minds we want to change behavior and that's why if you have the let grow project and everybody at the school is doing it or you can do it through a, a church a synagogue you can do it through your neighborhood group you can gather a bunch of, you know go on nextdoor.com and say does anybody want to come to our house uh, you know Saturday morning we'll have non-heroin cupcakes <laughs> and you uh, You know, maybe even a healthy snack or two cut into tiny pieces and let's all meet together and we'll we'll hang out in house. The kids will go outside and they'll start playing with each other and solving some of their own problems. And we'll start getting used to not being with our kids every second and not, you know, saying now it's his turn. Now it's your turn. It just requires a little practice and. I think that people are very hungry for it. I mean, so we have letgrow.org is our website and we have um, where you can go for like people talking about having tried these things and what works and what doesn't work and how it's great for kids with special needs as well as neurotypical kids. And then we have a, a Facebook page. Um, you know, everybody ends up sniping a little bit on Facebook, but there's also some really good content um, right. called No More Helicopter Parenting, even though I don't blame anybody for being whatever kind of parent they are because we live in this culture that is driving us all crazy. But if you go on Facebook on No More Helicopter Parenting, it's like, you know, I want to let my kids play outside, but I'm afraid of what the neighbors will say. Or um, I think my kid should start walking to school, but he won't, you know, he demands that he be driven. Or just questions if you are trying to be a, a let grow parent and you want to find your community and you haven't found them physically in your neighborhood, here's a place where they can meet 
you know, you can meet the community online and share, hey, here's my kid. He's making pancakes. You know, he's four. So there's there's hope and there's community out there. Wonderful. Lenore, thank you thank so you. much. This has been great. <laughs> Thank you both. I'm so happy you found me. Um, it's I don't even know. Are there other gay dad podcasts or is it just you guys? Well, none worth talking about, obviously. We don't know. They're, they're out there gnashing their teeth. How come they got Lenore? Oh, That's right. Well, it was great talking. And I'd, I'd love to talk to you more, you know, online or on, you know, offline, just talking to you because the, the thing that has fascinated me most for the last 12 years is so you know that I, I came to prominence because I let my nine-year-old ride the subway alone yeah. and I wrote a newspaper column about it and I was on all these television shows. And the question that the announcer, the, the reporter would always ask me, the host, was how would you feel if he never came home? Right, And I am I am so disheartened that that is always the question because the idea is you're a terrible parent unless you're thinking about the worst case scenario all the time. And that is an extremely heavy psychic burden on the parent. And it's a heavy load for the kid because they're growing up thinking that they're in constant danger. They're only safe when somebody else is watching them. No wonder they feel so anxious. Anxiety and depression are just spiking right. among young people as they would if you'd been told like, you know, it's it's a war zone out there. You can't handle it. Um, you know, don't expect to be okay. You won't be. Well, we just have to reverse that yeah. that line of thinking. And I'm really grateful for the chance to be on your podcast because at least we got to talk about it. It doesn't yeah. come up all the time. Like, right. what? how did we get to this point and why are we so so fraught? Well, to, to be fair, a television news host's job is to come up with the worst <laughs> possible thing out of like a rainstorm. So that's, you're damn that's right, true, right, you know, he's right. going to do it with Storm you under the ratings. And drizzles. <laughs> that's what pays the... <laughs> that's what pays the bills. The bills. Lenore, thanks again Thank so you. much. Thank we'll you, guys. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. We're coming back from the interview, Daddy Square, the Gay Dads podcast with Jan and Alex. I'm Jan, just in case you're wondering. In case, you know, it's me. <laughs> so, and you know that I, one thing that I, that really calmed me down about this interview is to know that uh, if somebody actually report us to child services. You know, if, if child <laughs> services wants to come over now and watch our kids for a few hours, I'm down. Um, that if, if they really uh, report us, we know what's happening and we know that they're looking for these signs at the house. So mm. if my kid's saying, screaming, I'm hungry and, and embarrass the shit out of me in an airport, they don't immediately take your kid. They, they come and check. So, I just, so that's really, uh, it's good to know. I'd, I'd like to interject that while that's probably true, it's never always true. And what I mean is things go wrong. Um, people, there are, there are horror stories. Don't scare me. I, look, I mean, the worst thing is that we're white men living in a, a relatively affluent neighborhood. It means that it is less likely to happen to us. Unfortunately, there are real uh, inequalities in the way these things are handled. And, and so I, I, I wouldn't want to be so sort of simple about it and say, oh, you have nothing to worry about. Things go wrong. It, it can be scary. Don't scare the people. We're Sorry. supposed to be optimistic here. <laughs> so one thing that, um, that, that really made me think uh, after this interview was the, the whole notion of parents judging other parents mm -hmm. and the shame that we feel. Yeah. So it, it does paint a picture of our society. And I think that this the suspicion of people in each other is kind of that's what's worrying me in our in our society. Well, I don't know. Look, my takeaway, first of all, on people judging each other, people calling nine one one, et cetera, is maybe a little bit more complicated um, than what she said. Look, we want a society where people care. 
And I grant you that if I look at another parent and the other parent is seeming unpleasant in the way she is talking to her child, I shouldn't be calling 911 about it, right? But what if she hits the kid across the face with her hand? Should I call 911? I don't know. I don't know what I'm supposed to do. But I think that ultimately the bigger question is, should I care? And one can argue, and this is where she and I might differ, that back 30 years ago, even if I did care, it didn't matter because, you know, law enforcement and everything else took the attitude that, well, it's your kid. You raise the kid the way you want to. Is that right? It's right 99% of the time, but 1% of the time it's incredibly wrong, right? So I just... I don't know. I just... All these mom's planers are really, uh, I think, pro a problem for us. I don't think that you have any data. I'm sorry. I think okay. it's a feeling that you have. And remember that as we talked about in the interview, it's an experience that I had and it was excruciating, right? But I don't know what the numbers really say. And I just want to point out that at least we live in a society where people actually care to some extent. Maybe they yeah. care too much. I don't know. Look, I do think that for Daddy Squared, what's interesting, so especially interesting about this interview, is the question of whether we as men and we as gay men um, find ourselves needing to be extra special careful about the way we not only raise our children, but are perceived to raise our children, because we're always afraid that somebody's going to say, well, right, they're men and they're gay men, so they don't know squat about how to raise their kids, um, and that's wrong. And so I, I do think that, that at least that affects my way of operating in front of other people. It's like I have to be, I have to be super dad because they have to see how great I am at it despite being gay. Right. Well, I have to say that I'm I'm in love with that free range kids thing. I don't know, like, and I think it. Uh, we really have to think a lot. I mean, our kids are still young, but we really have to think about what are going to be the limits of of our letting them run free. And I think it's like every parent has is probably going to have their own limits. And I, I really, I'd really love to hear that, to hear your uh, comments, our dear listeners. What are going to be your limits or what are your limits about this? What do you guys think about this? Please write to us at hello at daddysqr.com. You can also text us at 213-793-8939. Daddysqr.com. That's it. Yeah, that's it for today. Next week, it's our uh, season finale, Alex. Yes. Are you ready? Uh, am I ready? <laughs> I'm not going to have a whole lot else to do between now and then, so sure. Um, you can uh, definitely go to daddysqr.com for some more content. Um, we're still going to stay available uh, even after the season is over uh, on Facebook, on Instagram, and on our email, and on our website, of course. So, and then, of course, we'll so be keep back. in touch, yes. And until next week, until the season finale, stay safe. Yeah. And communicate. And, st and stay sane. thinking about having kids, start your search at loveisfamily.com by ORM Fertility. For over 30 years, ORM Fertility has been at the forefront of fertility services, providing personalized care and helping all family types grow. ORM are honored to be a trusted resource for the gay community on their journey to parenthood and are now sharing all they know with you at loveisfamily.com. ORM's expert team gives gay parents-to-be all the information they need and guides them through their unique fertility journey, providing expertise, education, and support every step of the way. Over a thousand gay couples and singles from all over the world have started or grown their family with ORM's support and fertility and financial expertise. Find out more at loveisfamily.com. ORM Fertility's online resource for gay dads and LGBTQ plus family building. Daddy.
daddy.sqr.com.